0: Our reading this morning comes from four passages in Judges. Judges 17, verses 5 through 6. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods, and ordained one of his sons, who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges 18, verse 1. In those days there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. Judges 19, verse 1. In those days, when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country in Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And Judges 21, verses 24 to 25. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, everyone man to his tribe and family, and they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, Thad. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. Thank you for choosing to worship with us here this morning. We are almost at the tail end. We have one more message in the book of Judges after after today. Um, and I want to remind you, next week, um, you can pick up your Gospel of Mark uh, Bible study for individuals. That will be back at the office. You can go there and pick up a printed copy of that. Uh, it will be available at that time. That sermon series will actually begin on Labor Day, but we want to give you the uh, the Bible studies because we want you to be a week or two in advance, reading ahead, studying ahead, so that you will have studied the Scripture before you hear hear it preached on a particular Sunday. So encourage you to check that out. Um, we are still in Judges. If you, how many of you were here last week? How many of you are specifically here because of the warning about the Scripture this week? You're like, I wasn't going to come, but I was going to go on vacation, but I canceled it because I was really wanted to... <laughs> I wanted to, wanted to listen to this particular message. Uh, this, Like I said last week, these three chapters are honestly probably three of the worst chapters in the Bible in terms of like, you can't believe what you're reading. It's like, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure how how this made it in Scripture. I'll tell you why, how it made it in Scripture. Because unlike the history of other nations, including our own, we tend to cherry pick things we want to share about our heritage and about about. About, uh, about what happened in our past. The Bible is no holds barred. This is what happened, and it's ugly, all of it. Some of it's great, but not these chapters. So we're going to take a look at this. this is, uh, and and the, de- the goal this morning of this message is to demonstrate, to demonstrate how idolatry is the root of immorality and injustice. Then and now, And why our only hope is the saving work of Jesus, our one true king. That's the goal. So that's why we're looking at this this morning. Remember, this is part two. This is part two of a two-part message within within this series called Mercenary Worship, which covers 17 through 21, the the latter portions of the book of Judges. Last week, we looked at part one of Mercenary Worship, which is buying God. We look at chapters 17 and 18. And we heard the story about Micah, the Levite, and how he made a household shrine and, and some uh, some idols and got his own priest and how the tribe of Dan came along and stole his idols and stole his priest. Just a weird story. Just a weird story. So that, and we, and we looked at idolatry and today we're going to look at, okay, what, what's the consequences of that? Last week was idolatry. Today we're going to look at paying the price, paying the price. Three things we're going to see. First of all, why idolatry leads to ruin. We're going to take a little bit before we get into the narrative. And so we're going to take a look at how idolatry, what we looked at last week, screws with our minds, corrupts our hearts, so that we begin doing things we would normally not do and not think of. We're going to take a look at that. So we're going to look at the principle, the principle of how idolatry in all of its forms corrupts the mind, corrupts the heart. Then we're going to take a look at how idolatry led to ruin, past tense, in their context. Chapters 19 through 21. That's a case study. So the first part is the principle. The second part is, well, let's see the principle at work in their context. And by way of applications, you'll see parallels. I want to encourage you, as you are looking in, in the first two parts here, um, avoid the temptation of looking backwards in, in history and saying, oh, those terrible Israelites. Yes, they're terrible. But also look for ways that you find your own heart and your own thinking and your own worship patterns identifying with them so that you can repent and so that you can receive forgiveness and so that you can receive God's grace and grow. And then we're going to take a look, bring it out and, and uh, end on a positive note uh, why Jesus Is our only hope, and then we're going to have communion at the end of this morning's message. So please let's go to the Lord. Please pray for me, pray for yourselves, pray for us that we would hear from the Lord and the Spirit would work in and through the preaching of His Word. Father, we come to you. We are desperately in need of grace, we can do nothing apart from you, Jesus. So, Christ, we are asking that you would be lifted up, that you would be exalted, and Lord, would you help us see how destructive idolatry is, not just in ancient history, but how it's destructive in our own, our own context, and our own lives today, and show us ways that maybe we're not aware of how we participate in it, uh, so that we might be set free, so that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. Help me to preach and teach in such a way that Christ is exalted and he is honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay why idolatry leads to ruin. So this is the last verse, the last verse in the book of Judges. You've heard this verse cited over and over, probably every sermon that we've, we've gone through so far in Judges. So Judges ends this way. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When you're studying the scripture and you see something repeated over and over again, there's a reason it's being repeated. This is the fourth time The fourth time this phrase has been repeated, you've seen it in 17.6, where the narrator is saying, this is why Micah thought it was a good idea to make idols and hire a priest, because everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And then, also in, in chapter 18, verse 1, there was no king in Israel, and this is why the Danites thought it was a good idea to steal idols and a priest, and then they set you up in chapter 19, verse 1. In those days, Israel had no king. And this is why you're going to witness the atrocities that happen in the next three verses. So it's, it's by way of repetition, the author is trying to hone into our heads. Listen, when you live as if there is no king and you are the king in your own eyes, I guarantee you chaos ensues. That's, that's the purpose. That's the purpose here. Now, I want to just jump forward to the New Testament to take a look at a scripture in Romans where Paul tells us what's going on in the heart and the mind of an idolater. This is crucial that we understand this. So this is in the New Testament. Paul is describing the way idolatry works then and now, then and now. So he says in Romans chapter one, Verse 21, for although they knew God, those people in the book of Judges and those people sitting in Grace Community Church on August or August, July 30th, 2023, although they knew God, they cognitively knew the Bible. They understood who he was. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Okay, notice Idolatry leads to messed up thinking. You begin to think in ways that don't correspond to how you were designed. It, it, you, you, you begin to think. Your, your thinking becomes futile. It, it, it leads to frustration. It leads to vanity and, and in their thinking. And, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their hearts become corrupt so that you begin to do things you never thought that you would do. And justify things you never thought you would justify. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And then in verse 24, and then in verse 24, Paul says, "So God gave them over to their sin." and they then entered into sexual immorality and they dev- they desired one another and they d- abandoned natural lust for unnatural lust and-, and you just see this spiral of debauchery spiral of debauchery but i want you to hone in here notice their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened now let's hone in on what happens to a person's thinking what ha- this this is where it all happens between the ears How many of you parents talking to your children, they do something foolish, and you say, what were you thinking? Anybody? Okay. This is the answer to that question. This is the answer to that question. You ready? Your view of God. This is last week. When you engage in idolatry, you reduce God. It's not, you're still orthodox, quote unquote. You still believe in a monotheistic triune God and Jesus is the embodiment of that God incarnation. He died for sin and rose again on the third day. You can still hold that, but your view of God is there's a reductionistic element to it. You reduce God and you think of him not as a magnificent God that he is, but as a means to an end to get what you want out of life. He becomes the vending machine. So religion then becomes how you work the machine. This was all last week. If you weren't here last week, you can download that message on, on, uh, on YouTube and, and watch that. So that's, that's the means by which you manipulate the machine, which is God. So there's a reductionistic element to idolatry. You reduce God, make him less than he is in your mind, and you view religion as the way by which you approach him so you can get stuff for him or get him to do things for you. Right. That's what it that's what happens now. How do you view obedience? It's totally optional. It's totally optional. You tend to do the things which God commands that you already would do anyway. And then you tend to justify the things that God says don't do because you want to do them or you just selectively ignore those commands. How many of you ever look back in church history and think, how did those people in those days think that that practice was remotely justifiable? Has anybody ever looked at church history and thought that? I mean, how could, how could Christians who love Jesus own people as slaves? Or more recently, how could Christians in the South actually think Jim Crow was a good idea? R- right? So in our time, we look back and and we shake our heads. How could that be? There will be generations to come that will look back at our generation and think to themselves, how did that generation not see that that practice was utterly abhorrent? Well, it's because our thinking becomes futile and our foolish hearts are darkened. And we tend to have this innate ability to justify anything that we want to do. So that was all last week. But... How do you view self? We didn't talk about this last week. How do you view self? You know, notice the oft-repeated phrase. In those days, there was no king, but everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When you are given over to idolatry, or give yourself over to idolatry, and by the way, by way of review, idolatry is when you take something which isn't God and you make it and elevate it to the status of most important. Any of us can be guilty of that at any time. And I don't care if you have the Holy Spirit within you. Yes, you're justified. But that does not mean that you cannot walk in idolatry moment by moment. And in doing so, your thinking becomes futile and your heart's darkened. And you do dumb things that that bring pain to you and pain to others. Why? Because you view yourself as king. This is what happens. When God is reduced, man makes himself, we make ourselves the measure of all things. We're the final arbiters of justice. We're the final arbiters of what is right, what is wrong, and we will make the decision. We become, we think we become, autonomous. This is nothing more than what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. We become autonomous, or we think we're autonomous, or we long for autonomy. We want to be rulers, Now, how do we view others then? If I'm the king, if Brooks is king, I start to view, we start to view other individuals as commodities. Do you know what a commodity is? It's, 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 It's an object. It's a thing that either enhances or detracts from my happiness. It's a thing to be owned. Commodities, or maybe maybe we're not that crass, but we view people as servants. Either they can serve me and increase my happiness quotient, or they can take from me and decrease my happiness quotient. So when you're king, everybody else is underneath you, and they exist to either make you happy or or they don't make you happy, and so you need to just protect yourself from them or eliminate them, get rid of them. They become commodities. Or we view them as servants. We begin to use people. We begin to use people. Um, One more point on that. Others as in groups. When we view people that are like us, we enter into solidarity with them and we see that if they're like us, then we can join together and collectively. We still view ourselves as king, but I can come along see people, people that are just like me. They have my my same my same likes, my same dislikes. We have the same culture. We are we are of the same tribe, and and we tend to we tend to view them as when we kind of get together, we can get more for us. Okay, that's that's what tribes do. Now, consequently, when when we are in this tribalism mode we tend to collectively excuse the sins of our tribe. And we view all other tribes, those people that are different from us, as a collective threat to our tribe. And so we need to protect ourselves from their tribe. And we need to... This is where justice gets tricky. View of justice. Justice is for those who are in power. The tribe that holds the power seeks justice for its tribe other tribes that 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 can't or or don't see eye to eye or they're different well it's okay for them to be exploited okay that's human history 101 you see that that works for all times all places all people and the and the root cause of all those views is futile thinking and a corrupted heart does that make sense now, I've looked at the principle. I, wanted, I, I actually had this reversed in my sermon originally. I was going to jump into 19, 20, and 21 and look at the, just the nonsense and then try to come back and explain what we saw. But I thought, no, if you jump in right away, they'll think of nothing but the nonsense and they won't understand the principle. So now you've seen, if we're in medical school, we're all sitting here looking at the textbook and we're looking at at the diagnosis of of a disease. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I understand. It makes sense. You've seen the PowerPoint, right? Now now we're going to be in the emergency room when they wheel someone in and they're suffering from this disease and it's utterly shocking. Okay, so so that's what we're doing. Make sense? Okay, you ready to be shocked? Pray for me that I don't go too far. All right, ready? (laughs) How idolatry led to ruin in the case of Judges 19 through 21. So, last week we looked at the idolatry phase. This is Micah. He stole the money. His mom said, It'd be cursed be whoever took that money. He says, oh, I took it. He brings it back. Oh, bless you, son. Let's make an idol. He makes an idol, or the silversmith does. Makes his own son the priest. And then a Levite comes into town and he says, hey, you be my priest. Now God will have to prosper me. Because I've got a legitimate priest. Then the tribe of Dan comes and steals his idols and steals his priests. And that's how it ends. You think, how weird is that? Well, what you saw was idolatry, which leads to futile thinking, which leads to the darkening of hearts. Now we have set the stage, right? That's idolatry. Now we're going to see how the price was paid. So idolatry leads to immorality, which is selective morality. That you're, Yep, this is going to be the collective cry of the congregation as we look at this scripture. All right, now I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to look at the highlights, scratch that, the lowlights of this. But I've got to set up the context here. Verse 1, In those days, when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine. Stop! What? in the world, is a concubine. It's not a wife. It's not a wife. It's a live-in girlfriend. Not that that happens today, but that's what it was then. You don't have the rights or the dignity that a wife would receive, but you give the male exactly what he wants sexually. That's what this is. So a Levite took a concubine. Now, the next verse. And his concubine was unfaithful to him. So we don't get far. First of all, he's acting immorally because he's treating this woman as a sex object and not a wife who is to be honored and to give his life for. Okay? Well, then she comes around and commits adultery, which you say, well, wait a minute. I didn't think it was his wife. No, there's a a moral obligation for him to provide for her but not honor her. So they they made laws so that these women would actually be protected, so the guy just couldn't cast her to the curb. Well, she commits adultery, and then she goes and lives with her father, and then he goes, and after a few months, he, he goes and he seeks her out. And he tries to bring her back. And the father is so glad to see him, the father-in-law. And he brings him in and wines and dines him. And he says, okay, it's time to go. And I'll stay another couple days. And so he stays another couple days. And he says, no, I'll stay another couple days. And finally, the Levites like, no, we're done. We're going. We're heading back home. And so they begin to go back home. And they go by uh, Jebus, which is modern-day Jerusalem. And, and by the way, this is before any Israelites live in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites live there, pagans. And it's nighttime, it's almost night, and, and, and the Levite servant says, we should stop, and he says, we're not staying in a pagan town. We're not, they're bad people. Not staying with those other tribes, we've got to stay with Israelites. So, they move along, they move along, and they come, they come to the village of Gibeah. And it, no one will put them up. There's no Super 8s. There's no Motel 6s in those days. So they relied on hospitality of people when you're traveling, but no one would put them up. So they're in the city square and starting to get dark, and an old man comes in from the field, and he sees them. He says, oh, don't stay in the village square. Bad idea. I've got more than enough room in my house. Come stay with me. So the Levite is concubine his servant. They go, and they make merry, and they have dinner, And then there's a beating on the door. Bring out this Levite that we may know him. That we may know him is a Hebrew euphemism for that we may engage in sexual activity with him. So the worthless men of the city surround. These are Israelites, not pagans. These are orthodox, monotheists. They demand that he send him out. The old man, send the Levite out. The old man says, do not do this wicked thing, but instead take my virgin daughter and his concubine. Stop. Don't do this wicked thing. Instead, do this thing. Do you see what what he's done? And all cultures do this when they engage in idolatry they order forms of sexual immorality as some worse than others. Not that that ever happens in our generation, but I'm just pointing out what happened then. Notice the thick tone of sarcasm in Brooks's voice. (laughs) Okay? So, what happens next? Oh, it gets worse. The Levite, being the, the gallant warrior that he is, throws his concubine, it says, makes her go out. He pushes her out the door and then shuts the door. The next morning, let's, let's take it up, take a look here. Da, 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 the next morning. Yeah, verse 26. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. So what happened? You know what happened. This is a gang rape. The gang rape is over. The morning light has come, and she falls at the threshold. Verse 27, her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house and went to go out on his way, sorry, I'm getting a little shaky here, behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, get up, let's be going. I just want to stop right now. At any point in this story, have any of you become indignant? Do you know what I mean by indignant? I, thank you for saying no. Angry. How many of you at some point in this narrative, that just did you, there's just a bit, a little bit of anger. I maybe mean, not a little bit, maybe a lot of it. I don't know. How many of you become angry? Okay, now let me ask you, at what? I'll tell you what, I start to get shaky and I start to get like violently angry where I want to just, I want to engage in combat and it's not at the Gibeonites. Get up, let's be going. You don't have the dignity to call this woman your wife. And then you thrust her out into the public, and then you say, "Get up, let's going after you've had a full night's sleep." But there's plenty of sin to go around here. There's plenty of people to be angry with. But that—that's the one that just I—I I, I can't even I can't even fathom that. Or, or the dad take my virgin daughters, or his concubine. Isn't that the way that human hearts work? When you see collective sin, you identify the one thing you're angry with, but the others aren't so bad. I mean, was it, how many of you were, just, you were just livid when you heard that the, the Levite took a concubine? Probably not so much. Why? Because that's, people do that today. What's the big deal? I mean, they're committed, sort of. And I I recognize my duplicity in being selectively indignant. But that's what happens. We value certain things as absolutely taboo. Don't do this wicked thing. But this wicked thing is totally okay. And our culture just basically says it's okay. That's true then. It's true now. And that's because we become futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts become darkened. Okay. That's the immorality part. Now... Let's take a look at the indignation part. Selective indignation. I showed you what my selective indignation, my indignation button is pushed when he pushes her out the door. But then we have in verse 27. He says, get up, let's be going. He realizes she can't get up, she's dead. So what's he do? He cuts her into 12 pieces. He hacks her up, and he sends all these 12 pieces to the elders of the 12 tribes of Israel, and he demands justice because injustice has been done. He demands justice. So what happens? Verse 3, now the people of Benjamin Heard that the people of Israel had gone to Mizpah. And the people of Israel said, tell us, how did this evil happen? So the leaders of the 12 tribes, they meet with the Levite. What happened? It was awful. It was awful. They took my concubine and they raped her and they killed her. He conveniently left out the part that he shoved her out the door. Selective justice, selective morality, is injustice and immorality. So, what do what do the twelve tribes do? Every man, every man among Israel, rose as one. Justice has to be accounted for. And so, what happens? Well, they go and they show up. Uh, Hundreds of... Or not, let's see. I can't remember how many. Uh, 400,000 men from the tribe, 12 tribes, show up to Benjamin. They tell the Benjamites, hand them over, the men of Galead, who did this awful atrocity. But now we enter into tribalism because the tribe of Benjamin says, no, we will not hand over, hand over those men. So now we enter into civil war. Now we enter into civil war. What happens? Well, you have civil war. You... Israel loses 40,000 men in the civil war against Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin loses 25,000 men, leaving only 600 men left in the tribe of Benjamin. And then the other tribes of Israel say, let us swear on an oath that none of us in the 11 tribes will give any of our daughters to those 600 men. Let it be done. Let's do it. Short time later, one of the 12 tribes is going to disappear. We can't have that. So then what happens? Oh, nothing much, just genocide and human trafficking. They try to come up with a solution. What do we do? What do we do? Ah, which village didn't rise up to fight the Benjamites? Jabesh Gilead. Aha! Let us send troops to Benjami- or the, the, the village of uh, Jabesh Gilead and let's slaughter every man, woman, and child that's not a virgin. Seems just, right? And so they slaughter the entire group of people and they take 400 virgins and to the Benjamites and say, here, But now there's 200 Benjamites that don't have wives. And they're like, "Ah, what to do, what to do? Ah, the village of Shiloh. They have this big festival where all the virgins come out and they dance. So you 200 men from Benjamite, you hide in the bushes. And when those 200 girls come out to dance, you steal them. What's going on here? This is called human trafficking. 600 after the elimination of their, their parents in Jabesh Gilead, and now the, the human stealing of human beings. They're treating them as commodities. And then we end in verse 6. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay, that's the worst three chapters in the Bible. It's horrible. These people are monotheists, and they are, quote-unquote, orthodox in their theology. But we've seen in 17 and 18 that they're idol worshipers. Because they're idol worshipers, their thinking becomes futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened, and they behave worse than their pagan neighbors. This is why the church in the United States of America doesn't look significantly moral difference, different than their, than their non-Christian neighbors. So it's easy to look back and wag our fingers at those terrible Israelites. Yes, you should be morally indignant, but understand that there's enough to go around for all of us. Okay, that's the hard part, the horrible part. I want to spend the rest of the time figuring out where there's hope. That leads to injustice. Why Jesus is our only hope. When you rightly focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed as heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance. Who's the radiance? Jesus is the radiance. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making a purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When you rightly view Christ as God, he becomes the object of worship. He becomes the the longing of your heart. Your affections grow warm towards him. That changes your view of obedience. Your view of obedience is no longer optional. You recognize that Jesus said in John 14 verse 21, If you love me, you will obey me. Do you love Jesus? Yes or no? If the answer is no, then live as you please. If the answer is yes, then edify him, lift him up as all-important and all-worthy and live for him because he died for you. Your view of self changes. Instead of thinking of yourself as the king to be served, you begin to think of yourself as a child of God and a servant to the king. Idolatry causes futility of thinking. Right worship in spirit and truth rearranges our thinking so that we begin to think straight. Our view of others, we see them as fellow image bearers, fellow image bearers. How many of you have seen the movie Sound of Freedom? Yes? How many of you were moved by the phrase, God's children are not for sale? Yes? You should be. But does that include God's children when they're over 18 or just the little ones? Are you as morally indignant over human trafficking of children as you are the fact that human beings made in the image of God are exploited as models for pornography that many of you men here regularly look at without indignation? See, because if you view Christ as Lord, and if you say, I will obey you because I love you, and if you see yourself as a child and a servant of God, then you see every human being, even those who do not love God, as made in his image and worthy of dignity. And worthy of redemption. And you stop treating people as commodities for your own pleasure and your own benefit including your family members, including people you go to church with, including your neighbors, people that you work with. You see them as people made in God's image to be loved and to be served. Even when they're your enemies, people not of your own tribe who can benefit you in no way, shape, or form. And your view of justice is no longer what is right in your eyes But what is right in God's eyes? That's the only thing that matters. It's interesting. It's interesting what generations view as sin. Some in the church today, rightly so, look at the the blindness of the generations in the past and even the current generations in the church Against racism, like like that's okay, but like, how do you guys not see this? How did you not see this back then? How do you not see it now? But they're completely blind to the sexual morality. Homosexuality is okay. All this is okay as long as it's consensual. And and God's like, no, wait. It's great that you're all about abolishing racism, but these people are made in my image too. And I, I, I call for obedience and holiness. And your view of justice begins to change. It's, it's What is right in God's eyes? How does God see it? How does he say it? It's not picking and choosing. I think this is important, but this is not. It's not justice for these people and not for these people. It's all people are made in God's image. That's why Jesus is our only hope. Now, we've got to end with some questions. Is Jesus your king? How would you answer that question? Yes or no? I mean, don't raise your hand. In your heart of hearts, is Jesus your king? Well, he's my savior. Didn't ask you if he was your savior. How can he be your savior but not his king? So you want him to save you for your sins but you won't follow him as Lord? How is that even possible? Jesus says, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. How is this even possible? That's his words. You call me Lord, Lord, but you won't do as I say. If you love me, you will obey me. Is he your king? Some of you would rightly identify him as savior, but if you were honest in your heart of hearts, you'd say, nope, I'm king. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? If you continue on with yourself as king, your thinking will be more and more futile. You become more and more blind to your own sin. In your foolish heart, it will continue to be darkened and your life will end in ruin. That's just the way it works. It's the way it works. And all of us are in the same boat. We're not different than the Levite. You're not different than the Gibeonites. Some of you are offended by that because I'm not homosexual. I'm not saying... the, The condition of your heart is identical. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are not collectively different than any of the people in this horrendous three chapters of the Bible. Not at all. Every single one of us is capable of all the nonsense that we just looked at. And if you think right now that you're somehow above it, You don't know yourself. You don't know yourself and you do not understand how insidious idolatry is and how it can make people who are rational do irrational things. All of us are capable. So that's the bad news. But here's the good news. The wages of sin is death. It leads to ruin. It leads to destruction. But there's a conjunction. But the gift of God is eternal life In Christ Jesus, our Lord, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe took on human flesh and took the sins of his people, the Gibeonite Israelites, the Levite, his concubine, the foolish people of Israel who made that silly oath not to give their daughters in marriage to the the Benjamites those who took the girls in human trafficking, the girls that were taken in human trafficking, they're all, they're all Israelites. So the one true Israelite, the one true king took on human flesh and he died for the collective sins of those people, his covenant people, and for those who would believe in him. That could be you. It could be you. I don't know if it is, But that's the question. Do you want Christ as your Lord and Savior and King? Then you must receive him by grace through faith. You can't go back and fix what's broken. You can't go back in the past and undo all the stupid things that you've done. You can't undo all the things that you've said. You can't undo the times that you have administered injustice or neglected to administer justice. You can't go back and undo that. But understand that all of those things, our attitudes, our actions, our thoughts, Christ has taken upon himself and he has given for our sin. He has given his life that we might receive his righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Spirit. Spirit, would you work in our hearts even the rest of this afternoon? Would you drill down into our hearts how deeply loved we are? that we might receive that love and reciprocate and respond in obedience. God, would you show us where we are prone to idolatry and, and ways we are prone to compromise that we might confess it, not in fear of condemnation because we know that your word says that it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Lord, would you show us more of your loving kindness? Would you remind us just how gentle and lowly you are? Lord, that we might be wooed, that we might repent, that we might receive grace and mercy for today, for tomorrow, for the week, and for the rest of our lives, Lord, that we might live for you because you've died for us. Be glorified in and through us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, go and grace. We'll see you next week.